If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if hey you're everyone, great at something, welcome back to Heaven so and the Wu Tang Clan, and we are here for an emergency podcast NBA edition, um, and with none other, of course the permanent NBA guest, Andrew Ramondi. Andrew, welcome back on. And uh, I don't know what other word to describe this day other than crazy. Is that an apt word for it? I mean, you could say that we're here to discuss all the NBA craziness. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. And uh, this is, I mean, probably in the, actually, I, I don't, we I we talked about the Nets getting Kevin Durant. I guess that was huge, um, but it was in the context of uh, of all this other kind of uh, free agency stuff at the time. Um, and now you made a joke on Twitter, or maybe also uh, in a text to me today, saying like, "Is today the tread day, deadline day?" I know it feels like that, but no, buddy, your Brooklyn Nets just traded for James Harden. I know. So if anyone's been living under a rock for the past, so we're recording this on a Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And if you've been living under a rock, probably when I released the podcast for the past 12 hours or so, um, James Harden from the Rockets gets traded uh, to the Nets for a bunch of pieces. Um, I will detail that right now. It seems like it's a four-teal team deal um, with the Nets getting James Harden, the Rockets end up getting Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodion Skarooks, three Brooklyn first rounders, a first, uh, a Milwaukee first rounder um, unprotected. So all those picks are unprotected. And then four Brooklyn Nets um, first round uh, trade uh, pick swaps. Um, in 2021, 23, 25, and 2027. Then the Pacers end up getting into the deal, um, trading Oladipo essentially for Karis LeVert and a second rounder. And then the Cavs end up factoring into this by getting Jared Allen and Torian Prince, it looks like, um, for trading a second rounder for those guys. It looks like to take on Torian Prince money. So with that being said... Can I... Can yeah, I take, ask you a question? Can we kind of, can I set the scene a little bit and like maybe we we take your temperature a little bit on some stuff because it's kind of interesting to me. Uh, I was just looking to make sure I remembered who the Rockets played last night, but um, I, I it's kind of an interesting moment here because if you recall, I don't know when it was exactly. It was probably sometime during the off season, like. And I don't think it was in a podcast that got deleted. I think it was in a podcast that actually came out. We had a lengthy chat about the Brooklyn Nets possibly acquiring James Harden when, like, James Harden trade rumors kind of first came to light. So, in some ways, this felt like an inevitable conclusion. You know, it always felt like the Nets were the favorites to get Harden were he to be traded, even though the Sixers were lurking. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But simultaneously, today did have this 
not quite shocking, but kind of this explosive feel to it, despite all that. And I think part of it was like sort of how quickly everything came to a boil here. Um, uh, obviously, there was kind of drama with, with James Harden showing up to camp late um, this this season and, you know, uh, maybe churning, spurning rather some COVID protocols, but, but they had kind of just been plowing along. And then last night, all of a sudden in a game after a game that I was actually, I haven't really watched too much NBA this year compared to, to previous years, but I actually watched some of the Lakers Rockets game last night where they got just absolutely thrashed. And like the NBA announcers calling NBA TV announcers, like, calling James Harden fat and stuff like it's just like really bad and then after the game he basically says in his press conference like this team isn't good enough I'm I'm done basically uh he missed practice today and then it hits you know 4 30 or so and he gets traded to the Nets so as all of that was transpiring how much were you paying attention how much did you see this coming I mean we have to contextualize this in the next season down the line I I don't want to jump off in too many different directions at once but just from a pure standpoint of the Harden trade happening and those kind of mechanisms taking place uh let's uh, walk me through kind of your your emotional state just on a on a visceral level even before you had read what the terms were so before I even read what the terms were, and I actually received a text from you and another friend of mine, um, like kind of just like when my banner pops up with the text messages, it just it's, it just stated Woj tweet. And I was like, uh oh, something Uh-oh. juicy came up. And, <laughs> and, I, and as, soon as, I, as soon as I clicked on it, I was like, oh, my gosh, the details of the trade and all, and it just kind of hit me all at once. I think there's yeah. a couple different things that really got to me. It was the the speed as to how this trade came about and um, came together, especially post, like, basically less than 24 hours um, since Harden gave his statements um, during that press conference where he was effectively saying, I'm quitting on this team. I'm done. Trade me. Yeah. They were like, okay, this is really getting bad. We need to get rid of something. And the fact, I think the scale of it surprised me too. Um, Getting like a four, like getting a four team deal kind of done within, I don't know the framework, obviously um, news is still coming out and we're not sure if the framework was in place for a while. And it was just kind of like, all right, how much are the Nets willing to give in terms of picks and pick swaps and like ancillary types of moves? But I think the the scale of everything kind of took me by surprise in terms of like, oh, wow, Victor Oladipo is involved in this deal as well. Yeah. And then the amount of picks and then uh, the Pacers, the Cavs are involved somehow. And it just kind of was like, oh, wow, like, this is a lot bigger and affecting a lot more teams than I thought it would. Um, And that's what caught me by surprise um, at the end of the day. And I think sneaky good quote um, where I just kind of wanted to throw this in um, DeMarcus Cousins um, quotes um, during his like 
little presser. I think it might have been during, it might have been today or last night where he basically was like, oh, I'm here to play with John Wall, basically. Um, like the other 14 guys in this locker room haven't done anything to James Harden. So like we haven't done anything to upset him. So it was just like a very interesting dynamic to kind of read um, uh, or look at from the outside looking in um, on a situation and how possibly toxic that situation could have gotten if James yeah. Harden had stayed on that team any longer. But overall, like, my emotions of it were my initial reactions once I saw the details of the trade were like, oh my God, it's actually happened. And like, there's also so much pressure on the Nets now to make the finals, win the finals. Like I, my prediction for um, the Nets winning the, the NBA championship this year, it looks very it, like they look like the fa- odds on favorites now. I, I haven't checked the betting markets yet. Um, yeah, I believe the they now they, they over they overtook the Bucks. It was basically the Lakers and then the Bucks from Vegas. I mean, I think it's just that way. But over like say the Clippers because obviously you have to make it to the finals to win the finals. But um, they they they're still behind the Lakers, but they're decidedly in front of the Bucks now, just in terms of the betting markets. Yeah, got it. And then um, I think another interesting component to this is I, and I don't want to move too quickly away from the Harden deal at all, but the Kyrie factor in yeah, all of we have this to address as a, that at some as point. a Nets fan has been. There has been a lot of questions as to what Kyrie Irving is bringing to the table. Um, There's, I mean, Stephen A, um, Stephen A. Smith, um, our favorite on first take, you know, lobbing shots and everything like that was pretty much saying Kyrie should retire today, earlier today, because of the way he's acted um, lately. And he's missed the past four games deemed as, personal reasons um can we put a pin in that and come back to it at the end if, sure, if sure. you don't we'll, mind we'll, keep we'll set, come back you can it. you can keep setting it up if, if you want to finish your thought but I think that's better served for like discussing where this team is going kind okay. of in okay. the, in the sure. future and so, and then put maybe placing some of the trade in in context but I I'd rather if you don't mind just kind of and it's not uh but I think we should just hash out. I think we should hit all those facets before we because the Kyrie thing is definitely interesting. But but and I do want to discuss it. But I don't want to kind of put the cart before the horse in in that way because okay. there are so many and because that's such a more philosophical, weird conversation. You know, I'd rather right, just right, right. kind of get all the tangential stuff out of the way first. You're so, right. So, like to not you're right. there about the odds on favorites thing is true. Why don't why don't we start here? Uh, you know, it's I I want to kind of hit it on two things. I mean, I I still kind of want to get your thoughts about the the inevitability. I mean, I'm traded one philosophical question for another one. Let's maybe let's just frame it this way, and you can take it in whatever direction you want. Kevin Wu, are you happy the Nets made this trade? Uh, the short answer is no, and I think the um, longer answer is it's a complicated relationship with Nets. Like, 
as a Nets fan and with management and um, how they see this team. Um, yeah. it's, it's really interesting to see some of the response responses that I've been seeing on Twitter and then also just on my own personal like Twitter feed slash Instagram feed from like maybe not as big NBA fans and like the differing difference in reactions um like i would say some of the the more educated nba uh fans that i know that are friends of mine are very and that are nets fans are very just like we gave up how much for 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 james harden like all these picks these pick swaps uh lavert who is i think was like one of probably the second best player behind durant this year um, and then Jared Allen, who was like probably the third or fourth best player on the Nets, just in terms of his energy and defensive presence. Um, yeah, like those were the two young guys, I think, that gave some Nets fans memories of like the Kenny Atkinson days when, yeah. um, like they were like a fun young team that we <laughs> saw growth in and like that's what those two guys represented and to send them away uh, to bring in a star like James Harden, albeit like an MVP candidate. And like, he's pro he probably could win, uh, you know, lead the league in scoring assist, all those types of things. But I think there's this little bit of emotional attachment to those got two guys in particular. And I think a lot of the reaction was kind of being able to like say goodbye to that and to that death. Yeah. And then also maybe like thinking about it as like, how do we root for this team? That's basically yeah. like a bot team in, in a way, yeah. like a team that yeah. isn't like, uh, like, I don't know. Like, I think there's like you being a Portland trailblazers fan, like, there is a there's pride there in that like hey we got Dame we got CJ we got these guys and we developed them and they grew up as Portland Trailblazers and like they're representing the franchise in that way whereas like the guys that are on the Nets at this point are just wearing the jersey and feel like mercenaries and not guys that really grew grew up as like Nets lifers that like really worked at it and like love love the Nets as a franchise and as a team like they're kind of just using the Nets as like oh like this is the team that where we're going to be able to like get these guys together and just win a championship and that's fine yeah. in some ways yeah. but it's just but it's also like this complicated relationship because they it, it feels like they didn't grow with the team and, like, that's, like, the difficulty with, like, um, the modern NBA and with a lot of players changing teams. But ultimately, I mean, it is kind yeah. of funny. It is kind of funny in some way. Oh, finish finish up your point if you want. Yeah, yeah. Because I was about I, I was to, to go on a rant myself. Right, right. Ultimately, and I'll talk back to you right away. Ultimately, like, in terms of this season and this season only, I'm very happy because it gives us the best chance to win a championship. Yeah. But do I feel great about it? Do I feel dirty about it? Slightly. 
<laughs> so that's all I have to say. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, it's completely it's completely fair, and there definitely is a a weird philosophical. Not I, I've overused the word philosophical on this pod. I always pick some word to say too much too much on a podcast. Today it's philosophical. I might have to cut you off at three. But no, but, you got. But there definitely is a, there definitely is a, a um. There definitely are. I understand that point of like the homegrown team versus the kind of hired guns or whatever. And I think part of it, without going too far down the rabbit hole, I mean, we'll discuss it. I was going to bring it up at the end of this monologue, but I think part of it has to be the personalities. It would be one thing if the Nets got, you know, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it'd be one thing if the Nets had like, Steph Curry, LeBron, and like, you know, Carl uh, 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 Anthony Towns or something like that. Not even that, but it's just the fact that it is, I mean, now you have three of pretty much, I mean, KD is unassailably great, but a weird personality. And then Kyrie and, and Harden are definitely two players who just in terms of both personality and style have proven to be wildly divisive and um, iconoclastic in their own ways. So I, I think that factors into it too, because I was I was thinking like just on that, I want to discuss other things too uh, on on this kind of just to provide the almost counter. It's funny to be like, I'm going to provide the optimistic take to my fan. Who's a friend of the team and just got an MVP candidate traded to him. But I did want to I say know. like, it is interesting because I was just going back through the four, these teams that have won championships, these super teams that have won championships over the years. And I was going back and I was like, you know, the Heat were a super team and they were hired guns, but they had Dwayne Wade as the as the um as kind of the centerpiece and the homegrown player. The Warriors always had Steph Clay and Draymond, even when they, you know, had KD. But then I thought about the Lakers. And I I ask you, do you think it's it's obvious rather that Lakers fans definitely don't feel like AD and, and LeBron are hired guns, right? But it does that is that, is that, do you think that, like, and we don't have to have a long discussion on this, but it, I was trying to figure out, as you said that, like, do you think it's easy, the 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 fact that the Nets aren't as a, much of a historic franchise and they've moved in recent years, like, do you think that's the reason these guys have more of a hired gun feel to them? Or do you think it's more just the narrative in general where the Lakers kind of had been toiling away in relative obscurity for a while? So getting those guys seemed like more of an achievement, whereas the Nets had been doing it in more of this kind of, uh, linear growth pattern. So to, you know, in essence, throw that all away is, is why it feels weirder or less genuine. Like, do you have any, any gut feeling on that or it's Um, kind of just like. To, to kind of answer that question, I think it's a combination of both of the reasons that you brought up in terms of one, I think the Lakers being this historic franchise, like they can sell the narrative that Anthony Davis and LeBron James are the two guys next in line to bring this franchise back to glory. And that's like a yeah. compelling narrative. Um, yeah. Whereas like with the Nets, there's not much of a history. Um, like they went to the finals um, when they're back in East Rutherford 
at the United Airlines or Continental Airlines Arena. Like, it's it's just not, like, as compelling when you're, like, oh, Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin. Like, it's it, – the and it's, like, a completely rebranded team now that they've moved yeah. to Brooklyn. Yes, and it's pretty far removed from that right. is, is definitely a valid point. And I and I also think the the hard part about this team is maybe the personalities on the team are not one that many people, especially with like the way Kyrie kind of made his exit from Boston, Cleveland, and all like all those scenarios. Like he has a bit of like. So a lot of people have problems with him, um, just personality-wise. Um, Kevin Durant, like, he's a really great player, but other people also have problems with him for him not staying in OKC. And then now, Spurn, like, like basically moving away from the Warriors and all that stuff. And then Harden kind of making a stink. Um, like, I, I don't think many people disliked Harden necessarily, Um but before all of this went down and then because like the first trade when he got traded to Houston wasn't of his doing at all. It was pretty much um, Sam Presti kind of trying to think forward and shipped him prematurely instead of James Harden asking his way out uh, compared to this situation. So it's a lot yeah. of like a lot of these personalities that, maybe might not be likable to the average fan that it gets harder to jump on the bandwagon and, and create like a positive narrative of like these three guys are coming together for the common goal. It's very just like, it seems like people are out for their own agenda. Um, yeah. Each of these players. So that's what, I think that's why it's so hard to like create this. That's, fairy tale like type yeah. of narrative in comparison to maybe some of the other teams. No, that definitely is true. And I don't think there should be, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to make the argument that this is a fairy tale sort of moment by any, by any means, but I do think, and, and I'm in part going to almost get, it's not I take play almost a devil's advocate in some ways to kind of try and make this point, but it's about 90% of what I think. And I, and I wonder if, if, you know, it's not necessarily you, but I do wonder if I'll use the Royal, we are missing the full forest for the trees here a little bit for, for kind of two reasons. And, and let's start with this. Uh, I'll, I'm going to do it in this order. I'm going to talk about the, and we'll, still continue to discuss it the the the, the compensation but i'm going to start with the what they gave up uh i'll do say i'll say what they gave up and then what their build what what you're getting right so let's let's start with what they gave up yes they gave up a bunch of they gave up a bunch of draft picks um that's that's certainly true they gave up Karis Levert and those you know other let's call them fun pieces and yeah, and they gave up the the Nets identity. They gave up what was remaining of the Nets identity. We'll tackle those things in order. The draft fixing, I don't really. I think the argument makes itself because we. I made this argument 
in terms of the Bucks trade for um, in terms of the Bucks trade for Drew Holiday. And I think like this isn't a you know this isn't a like the Nets trading all those picks for like Paul Pierce. Ken, Kevin Garnett and, and Darren Williams, you know what I mean? Where like they were yep. trading to become like a four seater that you are trading to become the favorites in your conference and the, and the, um, and uh, a title contender, like a, a team right. that probably now in the next, you know, couple years would have as high as any team of a, you know, chance to win a championship or multiple championships. Now, the interesting thing about this team compared to the other super teams that I think you could push back on, like, I think you could push back on me and say, well, most super teams don't have this much volatility baked into them, which I will accept, but let's push past it for now. We can, we can come back to it. I'm just trying to make the positive case, you know, and basically who cares about pick swaps? you have two of the top five players in the league on your team and then a top 12 to 15 player on your team, probably. Uh, you know, once again, we can go, go back to Kyrie, but, but just in terms, of, in terms of pure talent. You know, that, like that, the draft pick compensation, like, yes, is it a little bit much? Uh, probably. And it does make me wonder, like, I agree with you that like these deals had to have been simmering for a long time. And it seems like for some reason, James Harden finally, he had obviously demanded a trade, but for some reason, the public saying it to put them in this, in this, we have to do it mode. And I wonder why that didn't result in like more leverage against them by both, by both the Nets and the Sixers. But it's possible that that was counteracted by them maybe playing off of each other and there was a bidding war. We can, we can come back to that too. But the point I'm basically making in regard to the draft compensation is like, does it really matter whether you gave up two pick swaps or four pick swaps? You know, you're, the, the ceiling is the ceiling. And if you win a championship, one championship, it's pretty much all worth it. Um, mm-hmm. And then after all of those players leave, you can go back to the rebuilding you love so much. Um, uh, <laughs> the second, the second point I the se- about the players about the players, like I understand it hurting to lose Karis Levert. Like I do understand that. I agree. I, I had watched a good amount of the Nets this year. I agree that that Karis Levert was probably the second best player on the team, and he had been showing, you know. That, that kind of high-end potential that, that Nets fans had loved so much before he dislocated his ankle back, 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 way back when. But the, the, but the point I would make kind of on, on that front that I wonder about is like, like you kind of had, and I know the returns were early, but you kind of had three constructions of the team. You had the pre-Kyrie structure of the team, which was going to never be better than probably a, I would argue was never going to really be better than a six seed in the Eastern Conference, even if right. Harris Levert blossomed into an All Star. So, did you really want that for the long term? I, I don't yeah. know. That the Kyrie, you had the Kyrie construction of the team, which was not was objectively not fun, and then you had this current construction of the team, which was trying to be the balance, and it wasn't really working. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe with time, things would have gotten ironed out. And I think the interesting 
counterfactual to the or the interesting pushback to the argument I'm making now would be like, well, this team should have just traded Kyrie and we should have played that out, which is an, a, a compelling argument, but I'm just not sure it would have ever happened. But, you know, like, I guess really the point I'm making is, like, how much were those guys you loved so much doing for you? Like, Karis LeVert, I, I understand, like, will it'll be interesting to see in, in Indiana being kind of a true number one guy, what he's able to blossom into. But, um, you know... It's it's certainly this certainly the objective basketball value of Karis Levert is lower than the objective basketball value of James Harden. I would even argue accounting for potential. Um, and and those other guys, like at the end of the day, like yeah, Jared Allen is nice, but like is he a, a, a top twenty starting center in the NBA? Maybe mm. you know, like that at the 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 sum of the the. The point I'm trying to make is not to like, you know, say those guys are bad or something like that, but it's kind of the like, yes, it was, it was fun and in the grand scheme of things, but what was it really doing for that team as, as in the construction it, it had, it had, it, it was at present, at present. And the last yeah, point and, I'll make is like yeah. the higher gun aspect of it is one thing. And then I'll wrap up. This has been a long monologue. I know, but that, but you know, I think I'll have hit classic. on a lot of the things that I classic wanted to say. Monologue. What did you get back? Like you got one of the most interesting, most highly talented teams in, uh, in the NBA over the past 10, like this team immediately becomes up there with those heat teams, with those, you know, Celtics, big three teams. You know, probably not with the Warriors, but, you know, they go toe-to-toe with the Lakers core. Like, it it will – that team can be fun in its own way. Like, or at the very least, intr- extremely interesting. You know what I mean? And, like, it'll it'll bear out to see what the style of play is. And I think that's an interesting kind of – uh, point of what I what I'm uh, getting at here, or like an interesting possibly undercurrent to you were saying. I wonder if people just assume that this team is not going to be that fun to watch, uh, maybe just due to the fact that Harden's on it. But like you have three of the most gifted isolation scorers in the NBA all on one team, like that is very very cool. Now this team. I doubt that it will be able to defend anybody, but it wasn't able to defend anybody anyway. So really who cares on that? Uh, but I do think at some, at some point it's so easy to, you know, to focus on the negatives uh, or the, the negatives of these guys have, have been so highly publicized at this point And like, so discussed and so taken for granted that you almost forget the fact that like, this is going to be one of the, most uniquely talented teams of the past, you know, 15 years in, in this league. Right. And I, and I think the big thing to kind of remember, and I think you did a great job of pointing out ultimately, and I'm going to use this analogy of, you know, acquiring assets. Like what's the point in the NBA to acquire assets of like, getting nice young players like a Jared Allen, a Carousel for maybe like a Torian Prince, like all these first rounds. Like what is the point of getting all of those 
types of assets. Yeah. It's ultimately to cash in for the big superstar. Yeah. And that's what's kind of bared out over the past couple of years. And in terms of if you have the assets and are willing to um, to part with picks, you will be able to get an NBA superstar. It just ends up happening one way or another. And like NBA, you know, experts like or so-called experts like us i don't know if we can even put ourselves in that category but people like us try to prognosticate and see which guys are going to be like kind of making a fuss in their current situation to probably force a trade and it just so happens like that's why people try to acquire assets so that they can make the final big push in the middle of the table to ultimately get to this place of yes. getting that one big juicy asset like James Harden <laughs> that's going to put the team over the top um, just so that they, that they can go now go chase those championship aspirations. And I think when looking at this team, um, prior to this trade going down i think it was this balance that they were doing this balance of like the old guard and the, and the new guard of like oh wow carousel Levert's developing kind of nicely so is jared allen i wonder how they're going to mesh um with the new guys like Kyrie, like kd and how they're going to fit in together and ultimately i think what people saw early on is offensively they looked really good defensively they struggled quite bad like they struggled a lot defensively they gave up a ton they're giving up a ton of points um and that's probably the primary concern moving forward like James Harden's not going to solve those defensive problems at all um I think his you know we've talked about it on the podcast but his defense is probably slightly underrated for what his reputation is but he's not going to be that defensive stopper that we're counting on. So when looking at the trade, like the Nets got what they want. They got what the big piece that they were looking for, for all this time. And that's why you keep someone like a Karis Levert. That's why you keep someone like a Jared Allen, because, you know, ultimately they played their role in building this team into hopefully a championship contending team for the next couple of years or so. And I think that's like the best point that either of us can make as to why the Nets would do this deal. Ultimately it puts them over the top to be one of the top three to four teams contending for a title this year. Yeah, Um, of course. And just, and just before we move on as a quick point, we don't have to, but just to put my money where they my where your, my mouth is a little bit, you know, the Blazers were kind of thrown about as like a fringe Harden team. I think Chris Haynes tweeted almost he's kind of like an ex-Portland guy who likes to tweet positive things, news about them. And he mentioned like, oh, the Blazers were on like Harden's list of contenders, even though like they never had substantive trades or whatever. And And the question floated around the Blazer fan base of like, would you trade CJ and blah, blah, blah for, for Harden? You know, and a lot of people said no. And to me, it was a very clear yes, 
because like at the end of the day, it's kind of this weird, you phrased it very well. So I'm not going to go and give my whole version of it, but like, yes, making the playoffs and having a fun team is fun, but like, yeah, the goal is to, to win a championship and like you, and the formula in the NBA, unfortunately, like the, the Mavs teams, you know, the Mavs team that won a one-off uh, championship with Dirk at the helm and no other superstar is very much not the norm in the NBA. The norm is these mega teams with two to three superstars. So, you know, if you don't like that, like, that's fine. But, you know, your team probably isn't winning a championship unless it, it's used to that that construction. So, so you know, with all that in mind, where do you where do you want to take take this next? Uh, is there something else to discuss on the on the Nets angle of it? Um, I think we've covered it from the basis of the Nets. Yeah, I angle. think we can come I, back I, I, to it I, at I, the I, end with Kyrie. Maybe, but um, right, right. Maybe one point that I want to make is um, you talked about the pick swaps and things like that. I do like, although this is inherently different trade than getting a you know close to the end Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett from the Boston Celtics that did like a lot of people were putting that vibe forward as like uh-oh here we go again have the Nets learned from their mistakes and I think you did a good job of like differentiating what's so different about it because Harden's like in his prime probably a top three player at his best right now um yeah and the problem that i have is like once you get past like 2023 it's like 24 26 25 27 25 and 27 are pick swaps 24 and 26 are unprotected picks like those picks can all be like fairly high if like somehow this team combusts and None of the three players are on this team. And, you know, you got to kind of think in six, five years from now, James Harden is going to be 35. KD is going to yeah, be around. That, that is age all too. definitely true. So, yeah. So, like, all those factors. And Kyrie play, will so, no longer be playing basketball. So, well, he might be retired by tomorrow by the time we <laughs> this podcast, according to Stephen yeah. A. So, who knows? But at the end of the day, if this team ends up winning a championship, or is giving two to three first round picks worth it. I would say Nets fans probably would do that um, every single day of the week. So yeah, I just but wanted I to do, make that I point do, clear. Yes. I think that's the fair about, I think you put it in the most realistic, the most reasonable way possible that it can't be something that's not overlooked. It can't, wow. That's a huge double negative. It can't be <laughs> something that's just thrown off to the side. And you say like, it's fine that they did it because they could win a championship. Because unlike there is the chance that in the next few years none of those guys are there, but I st- I think that I still don't think that's a compelling enough reason to not do what they did. And frankly, it's possible without getting too esoteric, it's possible to be honest with you that the Nets going forward are going to operate like a big market team akin to you know the Lakers or or the uh, you know the uh, the 
pre-awful Knicks and, you know, these kind of teams where they, who's to say they won't just get another big free agent after the fact, you know what I mean? Like it's possible that their mode of operation going forward isn't going, that the development was to mean a means to an end to build up this culture in this new, uh, in this new market to be a a self-sustaining ecosystem that doesn't necessarily need to be churning out great draft picks all the time. So, so only time will tell, um, only time will tell, but should we maybe shift to the, the Rockets perspective of things right, now? Because shift. I'm, right, right. I'm let's sort of that. fascinated. I'm sort of fascinated with that. I, and I don't want to jump to the Oladipo Levert trade right away. So I don't know, maybe we can start by just, I, I it's because I look at this team and it's just like, wow, it's like this kind of like uncanny valley post, you know, they're go, they're in this, they're en- going to enter this sort of basically the post Harden phase, right? You know, this isn't going to be, you'd think that this John Wall Oladipo structure, Christian Wood structure is not going to be the long-term, uh, is, isn't going to be the long-term future of this team. Um, although they are kind of intriguing and almost a macabre way going forward, like wh- how do you think Rocket? How do you think we as NBA fans and you know people who will think of themselves as you know historian types going forward, like uh, how do you think this Rocket that era of Rockets basketball will be viewed? Isn't it like? slight excitement but massive disappointment at the end of the day like yeah this this team like had chris paul james harden russell westbrook like it had iterations of like greatness like they tried to shoot for greatness and it just never worked out for this team um and i think that's where like this that's how this team would be remembered like provided moments like when when they ended up coming back from 3-1 against uh the Clippers and like they provided certain moments like that but at the end of the day they never made it to the finals like they never they never really like were a true threat uh Harden provided some really exciting like moments but they just were never that team that were able to get it done at the end of the day. Um, and I, I think maybe, I, I don't know how that is, how that shapes Harden's legacy because Harden accomplished a ton there, um, you know, winning the MVP and like being able to become this consistent playmaker, uh, triple double threat. Um, down in Houston where he really developed as a player and I when I look at this team now with this current construction with Victor Oladipo um, John Wall Christian Wood they have like interesting pieces when you take them individually Um, but like this team would be far more interesting five years ago um, pre-injury pretty much like all of these guys it's uh it's like a what would have happened like what would have been or what could have been with this team um, when you look at like some of the injuries these guys have gone through and kind of trying to, to find it. And like, 
ultimately it's kind of crazy. Like prior to Harden, like this Houston team was probably unlikable because maybe the personality takes on the the leader of the team or the best player of the team. And now when you look at this team, you you're kind of like, ah, like I kind of want them to succeed or do well. Yeah. Just because like, yeah, they have a lot of these guys that it really hasn't worked out for them in the NBA. And you just hope that they're able to kind of get healthy and get it together. Um, no, I, I, I agree with that. where I kind of stand on, on this Rockets, the current Rockets uh, team uh, post James Harden. I, I agree with that. Um, and, and the team I was thinking a lot about, and maybe it's almost too easy is, is the Phoenix Suns, the seven seconds or less era Suns. I think there are mm. a lot of parallels there where just like you're going, they're going to be viewed as this team that, you know, radically, they, did they reshape how basketball is played? No, not necessarily. But they resh- they helped to, they showed, uh, you know, they carved out a new path in the modern NBA from both Daryl Morey's kind of hoarding assets in a very dispassionate way and trading them in for superstars method by which he built the team to Mike D'Antoni's kind of seven seconds or less 2.0 innovation of letting it's important to remember that James Harden started started his career as like a six-man microwave scoring two guard and gradually turned into this kind of proto point guard usage machine efficiency you know efficiency uh God, I don't, I don't even know what the, what the word is to to describe, and he's going to impact the uh, he's going to impact you know the uh, the way the game is play. You know he'll continue obviously on the Nets to to play and like how his style will adapt to that team is is obviously interesting. But like he is one of the probably him and Steph Curry and like I don't know maybe Anthony Davis are probably the three most influential post LeBron players you know um and you're right that and I think the seven seconds or less Suns comparison also just makes sense that like they're a team that is going to be remembered as very historic but ultimately didn't really do much um but I think the Suns comparison is interesting also because like I I see a similar post post uh, glory era period of mediocrity for them and I think the Oladipo for Levert trade kind of uh kind of bore that out a little bit because it seems I, I can't really say anything about Raphael Stone the GM because I don't know how hamstrung he is by his new owner his newish owner Tillman Fertitta but it seems like the Rockets don't aren't ready and maybe they're hamstrung I used hamstrung twice in a very uh, short period they're kind (laughs) of forced by the way their roster is now thinking they were going to have Harden initially like they can't really blow it up but it seems the point I'm trying to make is it seems like they'd rather kind of I agree with you that they'll be likable, and I, I agree with everything you've said, but I'm arguably more interested in watching them now than I was when they had Harden with these ancillary pieces, at least. Um, but it seems like they'd rather kind of flounder around in that 10-seed area than just bottom out right away and use this Harden trade as a chance to continue ac- accumulating assets 
and 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 start to reshape themselves into into some sort of Rockets 2.0, akin to an Oklahoma City Thunder, akin to a you know Brooklyn Nets post uh, Paul Pierce, KD, and and Darren Williams, you know, and I feel like yeah. that normally doesn't bode very well. That when you do that, you end up being like the Suns, you end up being you know like the Sacramento Kings, these teams that just kind of flounder at the bottom. And and never and it takes them way longer than 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 would be expected to uh, to um, to kind of get back to where they were. And, you know, it's important to remember, like they didn't they're not really ending up with that many of these assets. They're going to end up with all this draft capital, Oladipo and. Who did they get any other actual Nets player? I, I don't remember. Rodion's Karouks. Rodion's yeah, Karouks. Yeah, and Rodion's and, uh, Karouks. Dante, so. We got Dante, we and, got Dante Exum from the Pacers. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, so but, but the point I'm making is none of those are real quarter. You pretty much right. just got the draft capital, and yes, there's that kind of Cavs pick or whatever that um, – that went to them, right? Or not? Is it, is it Cavs or Bucks? I don't. I, what Bucks did they get pick. outside of the net? Yeah, the Bucks pick. But none of that is guaranteed to be. Like, obviously, it's so far out that maybe it'll be something down the line. But, you know, for the next three years, they're not really going to be seeing any, you know, great returns from this, right? So, right. So you wonder for for as big of a as big as you say the asking price was like I do wonder what the how well this team is actually set up to 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 navigate the post Harden era, right? And I think the biggest point that you made, Andrew, that I think for listeners that is really important is the the maybe I'm going to use your word in terms of being hamstrung um, by maybe Tillman Fertitta and how much he is willing to spend on a quote, quote unquote, mediocre, mediocre team. Yeah. That's in a good that, point. in that like Karis LeVert at this point, you probably want him as an asset over Victor Oladipo just because he's locked into a favorable contract over the next, three years in terms of him getting paid 16 million this year, 17 and a half uh, next year, and then 18.7 uh, the following year. So he's on a three-year deal and he like, he would be able to provide that, that, um, that player that could potentially grow. But someone like Victor Oladipo is an expiring contract um, that's coming off the books this year. So it yeah. makes more sense for a team like that that isn't like that ecstatic about the the shape of the roster and the team to kind of try to shed as much salary or future salary as possible so that they can bottom out. So it's possible that someone like Victor yeah, Oladipo, Victor Oladipo, is just like one of these placeholder guys for this year, and then they're not going to re-sign him and bring him back next year. And they are, they'll have some cap space um, to just kind of make, to, to like fill in guys for on one year deals moving forward until they have like a real concrete plan moving forward. Because they are still like looking just at their cap structure right now, they're still somewhat um, like, um, I'm going to use hamstrung again, 
by some of the um, numbers that are on the books for them. Yeah, you could say of, they're they're not hamstrung, but they're Achilles by John Wall's contract yep. for the next John Wall's few years. Contract, um, Eric Gordon's contract as well is not like the best contract in the world just for the way this team is operating now. So he's locked into a multi-year uh, multi-year deal um, in terms of getting paid 16, 20, uh, 20 million for the next three to four years, um, Eric Gordon. So like they still have some of those guys, uh, particularly those two, John Wall and Eric Gordon, that they're just like uh, the next three years or so we're going to be pretty much stuck with those guys. I, I feel like they could get something for Eric Gordon, but John Wall's pretty much going to be on that team for a couple of years. Yeah. Unless they take on Which some money. does not preclude them from being really, that does not preclude them from tag tag. Although he's yeah, played, yeah. he's played, he's, he's shown some stuff that's, that's being a little too mean, but uh, You're right, right. yeah. So, so I just think the, uh, the characterization that you were making in terms of where this Rockets team is going is, they are going to try to hold on at least for, I would say this season. And just to yeah. kind of be like, all right, F you James Harden. Like we wanted to like do well yeah. and maybe they'll have that type of attitude in the locker room. But after this season, I, I'm not sure I see much room for them to be like, all right, we're going to bring Victor Oladipo back on money. Like we're going to bring him back to like a multi-year deal. It, it just seems very difficult to see that unless Oladipo returns to, like, his pre-injury form where he was a, pretty much an all Yeah, um, Yeah, it is so, a good point. And you've convinced me a little bit that, like, it's possible that they will pivot down the line. Or maybe even I, – I feel like we need to get to the trade deadline and see if they start trying to sell off some of these guys. Maybe, you know, maybe it'll, it'll be the case that they're not trying to hang on. But I will say with these shitty owners, just, just before we move on, uh, because as, as per usual, what was going to be a 30-minute emergency podcast is slowly ballooning towards an hour. Um, yep. And that's fine. I'm, I'm enjoying talking about it. But the thing I will say about these shitty owners is you're right that they're always cheap, but I feel like they never want to have a truly bad team either. And that always ends up being kind of why they get stuck in purgatory. So as you occasionally say, we shall see in that regard. And I'm interested to, uh, to see what happens. I mean, obviously the kind of juicy. I was going to say counterpoint here for a second is wouldn't you want to tank now when ticket sales aren't, are negligible. In that, like, no, that is true. That is true. So, like, they don't matter at this point, and who knows when fans are coming back. That is uh, true. But if if by next year, will will that will fans be back, and will people be looking to make up for lost time? That's so down the road that who knows. It is actually yeah, yeah. a kind of fascinating question. But uh, before, I feel like the kind of juiciest nugget we have left is kind of Karis Levert and the Pacers. Yeah, I, do we have anything to say about the Cavs side of things at at, at all? Not really. Um, Jared Allen. Yeah. Good luck uh, to Jared Allen. Happy trails. I mean, it, yeah. I'm kind of interested to see. Andre Drummond was playing very well with with this team, like the Cavs team that until Sexlands both got hurt, um, <laughs> was, was actually exceeding amazing. expectations uh, a little bit. 
Um, I'm just. Aren't you upset we didn't come up with that? It was just no. That's I tweeted that. Oh. I I tweeted that. Yeah. Like, how did I not come up? How did we not come up with that? Like, oh. I feel like that would have just been perfectly in our wheelhouse of like not that serious. NBA talk. Uh, I know. You know I, also, also I, just like Kevin Love is there, so it's like Love Sex Land. You know, it's yeah, just there yeah. for the taking. So yeah, I uh, wish we came up with it first, but uh, kudos. But it'll to, be interesting to see if, given that Drummond is sort of on this one-year massive inflated deal, it'll be interesting to see if they just kind of roll with Allen. Like, I feel like you don't want to pick. Is he on the last year? Is he, like, on the last year of a rookie deal, or is, does he have two years left? I believe Jared Allen is on um, on the last year of his deal before he so gets into restricted free agency. Yeah, so I was going to say, especially if he's going into restricted free agency, you would think you want to try him out kind of as a full-time starting center and and make and see what you have uh like I don't think you trade you you give up or you kind of help facilitate this trade and and give up that box first rounder if if you're not you know expecting to to try at least try and see what 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 he what he's worth and you know if he can kind of fit into to the young Sexland core. Um, I feel like Jared Allen fits in very well with Sexland. I feel like he has a very sexual sort of vibe himself with his, Just his lanky his frame and his afro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, but, but so, so, you know, happy trails to Jared Allen and we wish him the best on, on this podcast, but yes, agreed. Other than that, really, really not much to say. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this, so I don't know, tell me, tell me as kind of a, you know, a Karis Levert connoisseur. And this is, and that's kind of the place where I've had the most sympathy for you in like, you know, the negative feelings toward the trade, because Karis was kind of your guy to some extent. What are you expecting from him? Um, on this Pacer team that, you know, it's, I, I was kind of acting. I, I said he would be the number one guy. Like, I think you could argue that that's not true. Maybe Simonis is the number one guy. Maybe they're one A and one B. Maybe they're one A and one B and one C with Brogdon. Yeah, exactly. But like, what do you, what do you expect? um, What do you expect? And I don't know, as we kind of say farewell to him as a net, what do you, where are you at on his his like I think we both would agree it was a no brainer to give up Oladipo for for Levert. I don't think I I'm sure uh, Oladipo was playing better than he had at the end of last season, like in the bubble and stuff. But he was on the last year of his deal. There were no re- really strong indications that he was going to come back and. Karis Levert is a guy who you can hopefully keep kind of in the franchise at least, you know, for the next few years and, and try and try and grow with. So, so I don't know, with that being said, what, what, what do you think the future holds for him? Well, I think that, I think you put it really well in that Oladipo is kind of on this expiring deal. And then I alluded to uh, Levert being on a three, the first year of a three-year deal. And I think that, is appealing to some a team like Indiana where it's really hard to attract free agents uh, to to come yeah. to Indi- Indiana. 
And when a player is locked into the first year of a three-year deal, uh, whereas like he might be 85% of what Oladipo is at his best, 85 to 90%, like you're probably most likely doing that deal just because Levert is younger and might have a little bit more potential just moving forward in terms of growth. Um, yeah. You know, Levert's all around game is fairly similar, I would say, to someone like a Brogdon or Oladipo in that, like, their playing styles, they can do a little bit of everything. They handle the ball. Like, Levert handles the ball. Like, he led the second team and, like, pretty much, like, played this, like, go-to scorer type of player when um, Kevin Durant or Kyrie weren't on the floor. And, like, for a couple of games this year, it was just Levert. And then, like, it was, like, a throwback to the Kenny Atkinson days when uh, there was no Kevin Durant and Kyrie to rely on. So they gave the key to Levert to take control of the offense. So it was a lot of that. And then he can kind of handle the ball a little bit. He has this herky-jerky, like, these herky-jerky moves going to the rim. And he's very unpredictable in that way. And I think he'll be, like, a very solid fit next to someone like Brogdon in that defensively I think he needs to improve for sure and but like there's length and switchability there between the two in the backcourt so I think playing him someone like Brogdon and then Sabonis it's like a fairly young cord that they're going to be able to grow together like they're I think all in their mid-20s like 20s six to 27 or so. So it'll be, it'll be really uh, fun to see that team grow together. And like it, to me, it doesn't change the trajectory of like where this team is going. Like, I think we had them as like the sixth playoff team or something. Yeah, exactly. In In fact, when you brought up, when you brought up the contracting, it was just like, wow. Or, you know, former blazer, Kevin Pritchard, like, just a pretty masterful move in extending the, the the pacer, not mediocrity, but extending the pacer just very good, but not great window for, for another couple of years, like shout out to him, but, but agree. It doesn't like really move their, it doesn't really move their overall needle one way or the other, unless Levert really blossoms into kind of an all-star type of player, uh, which, which obviously could happen. Uh, you know, it's, is it in the top 15% of outcomes? Like, is it a likely outcome that he's like a perennial all-star? Probably not. I, you kind of see him more in that, basically, like you said, like a Brogdon range, like just a, a very good starter, you know? Um, right. But yeah, but yeah, and I, it's, it, yeah, it, that's I think it hard. makes them a little bit more intriguing to me, just um, ju- I almost said the P word again, just from a like night. <laughs> would I ra- like, I think I'm just more likely to, and maybe it's just the newness of it, but I'd be a little bit more likely to throw on like Pacers Celtics on a Friday night at post this trade than prior to it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, ag- agreed. We're at the end of the day. It's, is it no? it's not really changing their overall fortunes very much, even though, even though I think it was a good trade. Yeah, and I think for a team like Indiana, 
like and I think a lot of the listeners that are listening now to this hour long emergency podcast they have to remember that Indiana and their goals are very different in how they need to approach building a team and also how to approach trying to stay competitive in the NBA in comparison to a team like the big market teams like the the Lakers, the Nets. Um, you could, I guess, throw the Clippers in there at this point now because of who they've been able to bring in. So, like, though it, the way they, the Indianas of the world can construct their team um, is going to be very different. And this is a solid move for them. Um, it makes yeah. sense. So, like, you can't really fault the Pacers for doing what they did. But ultimately, like we're kind of saying, does it move the needle unless Levert grows into this all-star? Yeah, it it doesn't make that much of a difference, but at least it gives them the possibility and the time to see over the course of his three-year contract whether or not he becomes that with the Pacers. And then from there, maybe they can convince him to stay and, and offer him a long-term deal. Whereas Oladipo, that runway of time was running out, and that and they were able to trade um, trade him for a player with more time um, in Indiana's hands. And I thought it was a, a pretty solid move on their part. Um, yeah. So yeah, with all, yeah. So with all I think, that being, yeah. With all that go being ahead, said, go ahead. Um, can we get back to Kyrie? Because I feel yeah. like I feel like. At the end of the day, when looking at this trade, um, they're like everyone is going to have differing opinions depending on how you look at it in terms of the short term, the long term goals, um, all those things. Everyone's going to have some type of uh, uh, different opinion. And I think we did a fairly good job of kind of showing different perspectives for each team and each side and why. Um, from the short term, it, it would be really good for the Nets. Maybe the long term, it's probably going to bite them in the ass in maybe six to seven years. But, like, we, I think we did a good job of balancing that. But at the end of the day, when moving forward from this deal and how this Nets team is going to play as a team and just the product on the court and what this chemistry looks like, um, amongst the the three three players in Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie, like, do you have any idea like how this team is going to share the basketball and like is it going to be a lot of like your turn, my turn, um, or I wonder like how Steve, someone like a first year coach like Steve Nash, is going to be balancing these personalities, um, balancing like who's getting majority of the offense um is there is there um drama underneath all of this percolating with Mike D'Antoni being James Harden ex-head coach down in Houston and all of that stuff does that bubble to the surface it's 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 a really fascinating um situation that's going to be developing over the course of the next six months or so as they make their way towards like a 
a championship run. And for me, I do kind of see it over the next, like over the next two weeks, I could definitely see the Nets struggle, especially as yeah. Harden tries to like play his I way back. I think it will happen. I, I, right. I think it's I, close to inevitable that, that there are some early struggles. And the panic button is going to be pulled out and everyone's going to want to press the red panic button and be like, alert, alert, alert. Why did we do this deal? Look, it's not working out. And I would just say, don't get, don't get so caught up in, in the basketball and the doldrums of January and February uh, yeah. regular season basketball. Take the, yeah. take the relatively longer term approach of, Let's see how this team does in the first round of the playoffs when playoff basketball comes around. And if they're struggling in the first round against, let's say, I don't know what team you want to throw out there, that's possibly going to be the seventh or eighth seed. But if they're struggling with one of those teams, then I think it's it's time to hit the panic button. Um, even yeah. when in the second round, like, I don't, like it, second round is going to be fairly competitive for them too. Um, but they should be favored in those games, in those series too, like then that's when you should be concerned. But at this yeah, point, no, agree. give this team, give this team some time um, to kind of develop and not overly like freak out as to like, if they lost like a random Tuesday night game against the Charlotte Hornets or like the New York Knicks. Um, yeah, no, um, and I'll say I'll say two things. One, as a Blazer fan, if your if your team ain't underperforming until the All Star break, you're not doing it right. Um, right. And exactly. secondly, and secondly, I just wanted to tee this up for you because like we'll have plenty of time to break down what this team looks like, and you know maybe uh, hopefully in the next month or so I can. I, I'm trying to learn to balance NBA watching habits with a. Uh, you know, it's funny. I really I started rooting for the Blazers in in high school, um, but I would kind of watch mostly just like national games and stuff like that. And then in college, I literally by my senior year, like probably from my sophomore year to senior year of college, and then into law school, I watched like seventy of 82, like probably an average of like 65 to 70 Blazer games a year. Um, but I realized like, I, I'm glad I really developed that in those years because like when I, I like, or the reason I was able to develop that was because like, I was fine. I went to bed at like one o'clock every night. Now I'm getting up at, you know, eight every day at the latest to, to, to work and earlier later when I'm, when I actually have to go into an office, like I'm a lot less inclined to watch like a blazer game at 10 that starts at 10 30 on a Tuesday right, right. night. Um, but uh, hopefully we can, the point I was trying to make is like, hopefully we'll do another podcast in the next, you know, month or so that just covers the NBA more generally. But before, and, but, 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 but before we go, I did want to hit on this because as we look ahead in the next thing, like I, Dito, all your questions about the play style, the potential drama, and the overall long view. But it seems like the most pressing issue as of right now is, like, what's going on with Kyrie Irving? And is Kyrie Irving going to be a part of these early integrations? I wonder, is Harden going to lure him back to the team? Like, it, it, what is – it doesn't seem like the Nets as an organization – 
a, an organization are very troubled by going on. So I'm going to toss it back to you to one, because I did a bad job of it, explain what exactly is going on with Kyrie Irving right now. Um, and B, I said one and B, one to say that, and then two, give me, I guess, your prediction, your thoughts. Like it, it overall is kind of an area where I feel like I personally want to want to tread somewhat likely, but I'm interested in kind of hearing your overall thoughts, especially as someone who had been taking in this team on, on a pretty regular basis before this trade. Yeah, and I think it's it's really – I had this really difficult love-hate relationship with my Kyrie fandom in that yeah. – there are things on the court that I love seeing him do. And then there's also things off the court that I love seeing him do too. Yeah. Um, he's been very active in the community in terms of being able um, to like donate um, like his own money um, for coronavirus, like pandemic relief type of stuff. Like um, he, I think he donated like, two hundred thousand dollars um in food to the nyc food bank like he's kind of spoke out about um some of the things that are going on with uh black lives matter he's also taught he's also like helped support the wnba i think committed one and a half million dollars to keep um keep that um keep the wnba players who ended up opting out of their season to help support them. So he's done positive things off the court as well, too, and being a good steward of, um, of the game and as a good just overall citizen. Now, in terms of helping the Nets win basketball games and being a committed team player, I think that's where some questions arise. Like, yeah, as currently um, – as current as today, it doesn't, I don't think he's playing in this Knicks game tonight. And I believe that is his fourth or fifth game that he has missed um, consecutively due to personal reasons. And there hasn't been much of a report as to like why he's missing these games. Um, there's a couple reports that, um, he's going to be investigated for violation of Corona, uh, like pandemic coronavirus, um, like, um, I guess like regulations that the NBA has, um, there's like supposedly pictures that were shown of him mask maskless at a family member's party, birthday party. Um, there were, there was like, I believe another screenshot of him uh taken uh at someone I, I believe like a new york ad or d or new york da's like campaign uh kickoff campaign as the knicks game was tipping off tonight yeah i believe Zoom that call. was a ver i believe yeah that was virtual but yes you are correct but, I, I believe right that that was virtual but like the fact that he's doing that yes of the fact being, that like, he's doing that game. instead of being at his job yes right I right it's, it's just a I think it's just a fascinating interplay as to like where Kyrie's mind is at this point um yeah like if you think back to 
all the way back when the bubble was first starting. Yeah, like, correct. A lot of people, this is exactly people, where I was going to go with this. A lot go of ahead. people were saying, this guy is crazy for what he was, what he was saying. Like we shouldn't be returning back to like going to the bubble if like this stuff really matters to us. And yes. I think what Kyrie is kind of going through is some type of personal journey um, yeah. that is far bigger and far greater than people just wanting him to be this basketball player or just yeah. a really good basketball player on the court. And I think he is kind of trying to find his place in the world and being like and balanced how do I do this in my position as a basketball player um, while also trying to be a full-time advocate for the ideals that I espouse of in this world? And I think that's yeah. the trouble that he's kind of having in terms of, I want to be this frontline leader, but how can I do that when as an NBA player, I've seen how it's, how it's worked and maybe he's caught feels like he's caught in this system of like they just want us to play get out there play games to make money for the nba and not like pause step back and think about all the things that have gone on and happened in this world over the past six to 12 months of uh, past six to 12 months and Ultimately, I think that's where he is struggling with where he finds himself in this world. And that that's like the to end like all the philosophical questions that we've had um, up to this point in this podcast to end with another philosophical question is what it's like, what is where does Kyrie see himself ultimately in this world and like what his purpose is? I think that yeah, like, no. ultimately like, and maybe we're getting a little too heady. No, and, like, I agree with you. No, I agree with you, Kevin. And I think it's actually a fairly important, although I'm sure peep, some NBA people will talk about it this way. I think, and I pretty much a hundred percent agree with you. Like I think we had a, exactly the same interpretation of what's going on. The one dimension I would add is I wouldn't be surprised if the pandemic is playing a role in that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised if the formulation of the question is more, what's the point of playing basketball, professional basketball in a pandemic, as opposed to what's the point of playing professional basketball, period. Although it mm. could obviously be the latter. You know what I mean? I'm willing right, to right. grant him that, that previous, a less dramatic construction of it too. Like it's important to remember like, uh, the the in the bubble, like players opted out and not much was said, but like no one really opted out of the regular season this year. But like, you know, the end, we're not going to talk about I refuse to go into any other details beyond the scope of the Nets on this podcast because I want to go watch poker before I have to go to bed in an hour and 40 minutes. But, um, you know, <laughs> the NBA is going through a horrible moment of like these increased cases and games getting canceled and stuff like that. Um, and that's not to say like, he's necessarily not playing these games for a safety reason or something. But the point I'm making is like, I wouldn't necessarily hold it against an NBA player to, 
to, you know, be questioning whether or not they want to actually play in this season with the pandemic still raging on. Um, the other point, though, that I wanted to make is, like, we are probably in talking about this, and I'm honestly sort of proud of the, of the way we're talking about this for this reason. Like, we're probably being in, like, the top 10 most, like, charitable percentage of NBA fans towards Kyrie for doing this, right? Like, don't most people – Kyrie has done a lot of – you know, if a, 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 someone who wasn't being charitable would say stupid and someone who was being charitable would say, you know, confusing, maybe well-intentioned, but misguided type things, mm-hmm. you know, in his past, you know, from uh, he strikes me as a curious guy who who wants to be intellectually engaged and is fairly young still, you know, and in having to do that in a public eye occasionally, you know, makes the missteps that someone like you or I would make, except in an extremely public way. You know what I mean? Um, Right. But a lot of people, I mean, my friend uh, the other day who is also a Nets fan said, you know, this, I hate him. He thinks he's smarter than everybody else. You know what I mean? And whether that's yeah. a fair assessment or not is is a is an interesting question. Um, I don't think it's a particularly fair assessment, and I think uh, you know it's hard to feel bad for professional athletes. But I think you know young black men who are professional athletes get subject to kind of an unfair and possibly loaded scrutiny in those respects sometimes. But um, a lot of people do feel that way. And like the fact of the matter is like the longer this particular dalliance holds out or like the more, you know, the more these kind of issues pop up, like eventually things are going to come to a head. So I wonder, like, it's to me like the Nets, you know, are pretty much just rolling with it. And I don't think they really have any other choice. You know what I mean? Like, I was thinking, do you remember when Derrick Rose on the Knicks, like, disappeared for those couple of games? Yeah. That one, I believe, that one time and, like, how it was covered and, like, how Mm -hmm. the Knicks treated it versus this. Like, it's so night and day and maybe speaks to kind of how the narratives concerning players have shifted since then. But, I mean, the point, really, the kind of all you can say is, like, we'll see. But I could see it pretty much going any direction. And, you know, to to put the cap on it, that's not really a cap. It's arguably the biggest question mark as it pertains to this this next season going forward. Like, I don't doubt, I think he will come back and, you know, just pretty much play. But, uh, you know, how he integrates in in those kind of non-basketball ways is just as fascinating of a question as, as what happens on the court. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, like, uh, all the statements that you said, Andrew. And, I mean, I, I wouldn't even – I, I would say we're, like, probably the top – we're in the top five people in terms of being charitable to Kyrie, not even percentage-wise, just people in general. Um, yeah. Because of, like, some of the comments that came – you know, Stephen A. was trending on Twitter. Of with, course. With what he was saying um, and telling Kyrie to retire. So, it's like – I I like I think from a Nets fan's perspective, if you're just yeah, a fan of the you Nets, want him to be you want him to play. Like I want him to play. Like he gives the Nets a better chance to win if he's playing. But on the other hand, I there 
I think there's a human aspect to it where like just some of the actions that he has kind of um, displayed over the past year or so um, has, has kind of shown that he has this curiosity to help other people. And maybe he's, um, he's trying to figure out the best way to do that. So I think that's, ultimately where I kind of want to wanted to leave it and end it in that way um, with Kyrie. And I hope he is able to find whatever he is looking for. And um, it looks like he'll probably come back and eventually return uh, to the Nets and play basketball, you know, sometime in the near future, hopefully. Um, but yeah, uh, ultimately um just wanted to break down all the craziness of the NBA um, today on January 13th uh, with the James Harden deal going down. Finally, a Brooklyn net after all of this talk. And um, yeah, I, there's not much else I wanted to say other than there was, there was like other speculation as to like what was being offered for, for um, James Harden, like people were like, why didn't they just trade Kyrie for him? That might have lessened like the picks, the pick swaps, like some of the guys that could have been included into the deals, uh, into the deal. Philly, there was a lot of talk um, that there was a deal um, that was centered around Ben Simmons and um, Ty, uh, Tyrese Maxey that would have been the the two centerpieces to Philly um Harden deal and obviously Daryl Morey has his connection connections with the Rockets there um but that ultimately didn't go through um but yeah ultimately James Harden's a net and I I am uh I guess I am rooting for him now um as a Nets fan <laughs> and uh this, this uh this crazy NBA season so Andrew as always thanks for coming back on for this emergency pod um in your busy schedule oh thanks man anytime